You're listening to a 95 BFM podcast. You're tuned into The Wire, one hour of current affairs and analysis starting now. Tēnā koutou, ko Jessica Hopkins, toku ingoa, no mai haere mai ki te wire mō tēnei rā. Kia ora and welcome to The Wire for Ramadan Friday. I'm your host Jessica and I'll be with you for the next hour. I'm also joined by producer David. How are you, David? Kia ora. I'm just getting over a cold, but I'm okay. Well, that's good to hear that you're feeling better and that you can be back on the wire after a few weeks. FI Akine coming up in on the wire today. Liam had their regular chat with City Councillor Shane Henderson. David, what have you got coming up on the show today? I spoke to Labour MP Camilla Bellich about the passing of the Fair Pay Agreements Bill. I also spoke to Victoria University of Wellington Religious Studies Professor Paul Morris about anti-Semitism. He aha o fakaro. We would love to hear your thoughts on any of these pieces today. So get in touch. Tuku patuhi mai. You can text us on 5395. Why am I rane? Or give us a call in the studio on 309 3879. Ka oa i wariwari i ahe anakoto ti whakarongo ki ene kōrero ano he pakihiri rocky rocky ma rungu i te pai tukutuku o irirangi poho mi haere kiti ki 95BFM ira kati kom. You can catch all these stories and more by podcast on the 95BFM website. 95bfm.com For old times sake, <laughs> yes or no, would you like to be leader of the National Party at some point? No, I'm just focused on what I'm doing. I'm one of those people that do it day by day, job by job. I'll save this cliff and come back to it in five or ten years. We'll see how it's aged. The Wire. The Fair Pay Agreements passed, bill passed its third and final reading on Wednesday night. Introduced into Parliament earlier this year, the bill will allow workers in a certain industry to negotiate for better pay and working conditions industry-wide. Negotiations will be triggered if 10% of workers or 1,000 employees in an industry agree. I spoke to Labour MP Camilla Bellich about the subject. How do you feel about the successful passing of the bill? I feel very excited. It's good to have it uh, finally passed and uh, hopefully it will have a real impact for uh, New Zealand workers now that the uh, framework is in place. For someone who doesn't know or understand fair pay agreements, how would you describe or explain them? Fair pay agreements are the ability for employers and unions to negotiate minimum terms and conditions for not just individual workplaces but also whole industries or whole occupational groups. So the thing that differentiates fair pay agreements from other types of collective bargaining is the fact that they can apply these minimum terms to not just the workplaces which are involved in that collective bargaining, but other workplaces that may have people covered by that fair pay agreement because of their job or because of uh, the industry. So the fair pay agreements will set a minimum base standards for certain industries and individual employers and employees will be able to negotiate on top of that? Absolutely, yeah, that's correct. So they are just a floor. We have a lot of minimum terms in New Zealand, for example, the minimum wage that everyone will be familiar with. What fair pay agreements do is give employers and employee representatives like unions the opportunity to negotiate other minimum terms that might be appropriate for their industry. Who are some of the key 
industries who might benefit from such fair pay agreements? We can't be 100% sure which industries will take up the opportunity to have fair pay agreements. It probably won't be all New Zealand workplaces and it will probably start with just a few key occupational groups, my prediction would be. So some of the groups that might be helped by fair pay agreements are groups like cleaners or security guards and or other groups like early childhood workers, for example. Has New Zealand ever had such a collective bargaining style methods? Have they ever been in place in the past? Yeah, New Zealand used to have an awards system where there were um, different, effectively, awards, so not exactly the same as fair pay agreements, but terms and conditions that applied across industries. So we have had a similar um, scheme in the past, and and other countries, including Australia, do have a similar system uh, where they do have uh, minimum terms and conditions that apply to occupational or industry groups. So they're quite, quite common worldwide. Would you say New Zealand is a little bit far behind on this regard? Well, I think that we've seen other countries use them very successfully and I think they are a really good way to prevent the race to the bottom with terms and conditions. They mean that employers have to compete on things like quality and innovation rather than on just who has the lowest wages when they're bidding for contracts. So I think that will be a positive thing for New Zealand and also a really positive thing for good employers too. How would you respond to National and Act's criticisms of the bill and the fact that they said they would repeal it if they get into government next year? I think it would be a real shame if they repeal it. My hope is that whoever forms the next government, that they would maintain the ability for employees and employers to negotiate fair pay agreements. I obviously think that they will bring a lot of uh, benefit to New Zealand and I think they deserve the opportunity to really bed in and and I think we'll see a lot of the benefits of fair pay agreements um, in more of the medium term. So I I would hope that the National and Act Party would change their mind but of course my belief is that Labour will form the next government and so we'll be able to really see the uh, effects of, of fair pay agreements over the next term. How long do you think fair pay agreements will take to bed in? Well, they have to be bargained, and the bargaining process for fair pay agreements will be slightly more complex than a normal uh, collective bargaining process. So I imagine that the bargaining and negotiating uh, and the finalising and ratification of fair pay agreements uh, will need to occur prior to the benefits of them are really taking effect in terms of the minimum terms and conditions. So we really need to see um, some fair pay agreements uh, ratified and in place before we'll be able to see the benefits that will flow from them. And that, and that will take some time. Um, and it should take time as well because it's important to get them right, but it's not going to be an immediate um, impact on those sectors that uh, are interested in negotiating fair pay agreements. New Zealand unions almost collapsed after the passing of the Employment Contracts Act in 1991, I believe it was. Do you think this, do you think this will re-strengthen the positions of unions in New Zealand society? I think New Zealand unions have a much stronger position than they, um, than they have had in the recent past, as you mentioned, after the passing of the Employment Contracts Act. I think their position has improved since the passage of the Employment Relations Act in 2000, but this legislation isn't really about strengthening unions. In fact, unions will do a lot of the work for what essentially will be non-union members, um, passing on the benefits of their negotiations uh, and work uh, to to obtain fair pay agreements to people who might not necessarily be um, in the union. So it's not really about about that aspect of it. What it is about is making sure that we do have 
basic minimum terms and conditions and sectors where we've seen uh, a real deterioration in those and, and also those workers getting the benefit of those um, terms and conditions being standard across the industry uh, when they're um, employed in, in different workforces. Another really good example that I didn't mention before is bus drivers. So we'd really hope that when we have a fair pay agreement in place for bus drivers that some of the workforce shortages that we've seen in recent times might be ameliorated by having uh, a fair pay, pay agreement in place. I don't know if you've noticed in Auckland, but it's pretty much every second the bus has been cancelled <laughs> and it's incredibly frustrating. I think that would be, yeah, I haven't, um, I've seen reports of that, I haven't noticed that myself recently, but I think that there are serious workforce issues that we need to address and I'm hoping that FPAs will um, help to address some of those issues. I believe it takes effect from the 1st of December. Do you know who might be some of the first industries who will begin to negotiate? Yeah, so bus drivers is one, and I think the other ones I mentioned before are things like cleaners and security guards, I would imagine would be um, some of the first groups that might look to negotiate uh, an FPA. That was Labour MP Camilla Bellich talking about fair pay agreements. We'll be back after a short break. Keep it on the B. Auckland's favourite summer festival is back for 2023. That's right, St Jerome's Laneway Festival is here. And now due to popular demand, moving to a larger venue at Western Springs. Soothing that sweet January heat with a smooth, cool and refreshing blend of international musical juice. Featuring... Hi, I'm Joji, Phoebe Bridges, Phineas, Fontaine's DC, Fred again, Girl in Red, Turnstile, 100 Gex, Chaos in the CBD, Phaser Days, Nuts, More Rat, Ross from Friends, The Bits, Yard Act, Ernie Bell, Logic 1000, more and more. If I Laneway Festival 2023, Auckland Anniversary Day, January 30th. Additional tickets on sale now from lanewayfestival.com. Aspiring doctor, engineer or game developer? The Motat STEM Fair is the place to be Sunday, October 30th. Discover wind tunnel testing, strawberry DNA extraction and build a spaghetti and marshmallow bridge. With 56 specialist exhibitors from leading STEM organisations, kids of all ages will find something to inspire them from the world of science, technology, engineering and mathematics. The STEM Fair at MOTAT, Sunday, October 30th, 10am to 4pm. Find out more at motat.nz. What's a seven-letter word for Street Fighter? No idea. I know that tonight at Ponsonby Social Club there's... Kesha Live, followed by DJs Kiliman Raro and Sultry. And tomorrow... Black Alien, followed by DJs Corisco and Marjorie Sinclair. Same old Ponsonby Social Club, 152 Ponsonby Road. Naked PR and New Zealand On Air are proud to bring you the Student Radio Network Awards. Celebrating the best, brightest and buzziest in independent music and broadcasting for 2022. Featuring such glamorous awards as... Te Tahi Toa, favourite single, thanks to Independent Music New Zealand. Te Tohu Hoponga, Puoro Mariu, favourite EP, mixtape, thanks to Recorded Music New Zealand. Te Tohu Kohinga Mariu, favourite album, thanks to APRA AMCOS New Zealand. And more. The Student Radio Network Awards, streamed and broadcast live November 19th. Check out your nominees and vote for the People's Choice Award today. Go to 95bfm.com. Welcome back to The Wire. If you have any thoughts to share on our pieces today, you can text 
5395 Rima Toru Iwa Rima or call 3093879. Now, tell me about your father. City Councilling on 95BFM, our weekly chat with the good people of Auckland Council. Auckland's current council term has now properly begun, with councillors being sworn in and beginning to set the groundwork for the next three years. This includes the swearing-in of new Deputy Mayor Delcy Simpson, who has made it clear that she and Mayor Wayne Brown have some differences in council approaches that they will need to work through. Waitakere Ward Councillor Shane Henderson has previously worked with Simpson, so for today's city councilling segment we had a chat about what she could bring to Tamaki Makoto. We also spoke about the mass delays affecting Auckland's western train line and internet coverage in the outer western ranges. First, we spoke about what Auckland Council has been recently focusing on as they begin the next term. Yeah, so the first kind of focus for us is to sort of bed in the committee structure um, and who's running the committees uh, and also, as we had the announcement yesterday, the Deputy Mayoralty. So, yeah, first and foremost, it's kind of how are we dividing up this massive workload that we have in front of us. Um, And the other thing that's been a focus, um, as you've seen, is Mayor Brown has put out uh, letters of expectation on kind of his policies and what he wants to sort of drive through this term. Um, And that's that's good to have uh, that clear with Aucklanders uh, as well. So those are kind of the dual things that we've been working on. One of the top topics with uh, Auckland Mayor Wayne Brown has been his opposition to Three Waters and just how much action he's really been trying to take to hold this. Do you have any big concerns about getting this legislation through? You know, I think it's really important to note that in the previous council term, uh, actually every councillor unanimously voted uh, down uh, the Three Waters legislation in its current form. Uh, the concern that we had was uh, essentially accountability to communities. Um, and also that, look, Auckland is bringing um, over 90% of the population and the asset base through to the proposed new entity. So we need that to, to be reflected in kind of the governance arrangements as best we can so that Aucklanders uh, know they're getting the best deal possible. Um, and, you know, people do really want to stay in the water infrastructure. And as a West Aucklander, I know that very well, uh, given some of the controversies uh, in recent times, particularly in Huia and in Teatutu as well. Um, so you people want accountability and they want uh, to sort of to have the ability to have their say on water infrastructure. And I think that council has been consistent in that view. And it does seem that we'll be continuing to be consistent in that view. Have you noticed any other changes to the way that council is currently running with the new people joining the team? Yeah, a lot of the way that it will be run is still kind of being bedded in. And we're going to know a bit more about that in in the next kind of week or two, I'd say. Um, But having said that, we've got a great batch of new councillors uh, from all across Auckland that are really excited. They're really kind of champing at the bit to get going. Um, And I'm really uh, very, very happy for them. Um, And over the coming week, we're going to hear their maiden speeches, which is both a really kind of special time for them and their families, but also a time for them to set out why they uh, stood for election in the first place and what they want to achieve. Um, So it's a really exciting time for the city, having such a good new crop of councillors to come through. One of the new people in a, not new people in a new role, but someone in a new role is Auckland's new Deputy Mayor, Delcy Simpson. You've actually previously worked with her. What effects do you think that her Deputy Mayoralship will have on Auckland? Yeah, I I think she's absolutely fantastic. So um, last term she was Chair of the Finance and Performance Committee and I was her Deputy Chair. So I worked really closely with her over those three years. 
Um, and at the start of the term, uh, Ida wasn't to be expecting that we were going to go through four budgets uh, with various levels of emergency uh, attached to COVID-19 and all the rest of it. So we had a crisis situation and we sort of came out of it, I think, really well, uh, to be honest. And that's a large part due to Desley's leadership. So I'm excited for her new role as the Deputy Mayor and, you know, she has my full support, absolutely. Yeah, what's interesting is the fact that she, in in her own words, is very different to Brown and will have different approaches to various council decisions and actions. Do you think that this could have a negative effect on getting things done or will it allow for more balance within the council? Yeah, I think whenever you're selecting a deputy, you know, if you don't mind me saying, you do need to have uh, some eye to balance. Um, I think focusing on kind of the positive aspects of this is that Desley has really great relationships across the entire council, having been uh, first on local board and then council um, last term. So she sort of knows how to work with people and has those relationships that have endured over a long time. I think that's a really good thing uh, in terms of getting things done. And just the other thing that I would say is that her traditionally coming from a more conservative uh, background than I do politically, um, it's impressive how she can work with both, I suppose, the left and the right. Uh, if you're looking at kind of ideological terms, um, it's a really good uh, good attribute to have as in a deputy, and she definitely has that as well. So, yeah, she knows how to work with people. I also just want to uh, quickly chat again, because we talked about this the other week, about the Western Line train system at the moment, as many commuters have been struggling with difficult delays to get in and out of town due to changeovers between Swanson and Newland, moving to the Newland and Britomart train, as well as various other difficulties. Is the Watakari Ward Council trying to work with Auckland Transport to see that these mass delays aren't as consistent as they have been? Yeah, most definitely. It's so frustrating for West Aucklanders, isn't it? Um, we've had these trains, uh, they seemingly always have some sort of delay and we have massive shutdowns every year. So with this particular thing, uh, they identified a subsidence issue on the track. And so health and safety, you know, we appreciate that they do need to change things and may need to shut things down and reduce services. But if you look at it in totality as a West Aucklander, our line is being shut down way too often. Uh, and we need to do better. I mean, other Western cities in the world don't have this situation that we do. I just think it's really poor, and I share the anger of West Aucklanders on this. There's been some new movements around internet coverage within the outer ranges of West Auckland, as I have seen on my trips home with new fiber bowls going up. Is this? Are we going to soon see better internet coverage for the outer ranges like Bethel, Stahanga, uh, Piha, and Midawai? Yeah, I, I really think you will see better um, mobile coverage and internet coverage. Um, I think Mayor Brown uh, released something last week around uh, the need to do better in terms of cell coverage across the city. And I think there's a huge uh, economic benefit to that as well as a social one. Um, I'll be encouraging the mayor in the coming weeks uh, to look at places like Bethel's and Muriwai, uh, Huia, all the ranges areas that have these horrible internet connections that actually there are flow on effects to the city there um, that are really, really negative. And so I really encourage uh, the mayor and his approach. I think it was a really great release that he did. And I will encourage him to be looking at West Auckland as part of that. That was City Councillor Shane Henderson chatting about the start of the council term, the new Deputy Mayor, Western Line train delays, and internet coverage in the Waitakere Ranges. Have you tried mindfulness? Try mindfulness. City Councilling on 95BFM. 
We'll be back after a short break. Live Nation, in association with 95BFM, presents Julia Jacklin. Live at the Power Station, March 8th. New Zealand tour selling out every date, Julia Jacklin is coming back to Auckland, performing songs from her uncompromising new album, Pre-Pleasure. Julia Jacklin, March 8th at the Power Station. Get your tickets now from livenation.co.nz. For the best in hip, you gotta keep it green. Vape supplies and oil and butter. Drug tasting, I brother. For the best in hemp, you gotta keep it green. The hemp store on K Road is what you need. Experience the hemp store at 253 Karanga Happy Road. For nationwide delivery, visit hempstore.co.nz or call 0800 Hemp Store. For the best in hemp, you gotta keep it green. The hemp store on K Road is what you need. An ancient evil is risen from the grave. Halloween at Ding Dong Ranch. Two nights of blood, screams, and Mine's music. Dead Halloween on Friday. Featuring Pale Flag, Wolves, Pressure, and Mark of Shame. Then on Saturday. The Ding Dong Lounge Halloween party with live music from Mud Shark, House of Usay, and Neon Serpent. Plus spooky DJs and prizes for the best dressed. October 28th and 29th. Find out more at dingdongloungenz.com. Yeah, happy birthday for the other week. Yeah, I'm fine. Just calling to let you know I'm going to be performing live on BFM. Yeah, with my band. No, my new band. Yeah, I have got a real job. That doesn't mean I can't still... Journalist is a real job. No, Mum, BFM. It's not just for students. It's like cool, alternative. Yeah, well, I hate you too. See you never, Mum. Every Friday, live music direct from 95BFM Drive. Friday live on 95BFM. Thanks to Parrot Dog Bear. Classic journal question as well. Can I have a jaw? <laughs> the Wire. Anti-Semitism has reared its ugly head with Kanye West's recent comments. However, the prejudice is centuries old and is often cloaked in dog whistles. I spoke to Victoria University of Wellington's Religious Studies professor about anti-Semitism's history and what to look out for. What are some of the key traits or signs of anti-Semitism? The word itself is a, a very modern word, which dates from the uh, late 1870s from Wilhelm Marr, and it was about single you know, single-issue uh, uh, politics, and it was designed uh, to mean anti-Jewish, and it was to stop um, the recently enacted Jewish emancipation, which gave Jews civil rights and the right to vote. And so anti-Semitism is a very new idea. It's got nothing to do with Semites or Semitism. It was just an anti-Jewish focus that began in Germany and in Central Europe, and it was about emancipation. It was about a new 
status for Jews that were sought to be undone. But it drew on a much older history, um, and to make the contrast, which is often called uh, Christian anti-Judaism as opposed to anti-Semitism, and uh, is uh, largely uh, part of the Christian legacy um, of a, a particular sort of uh, what I call mythological or conspiratorial prejudicial hatred. And so it's not just the xenophobia, it's not just fear of uh, others, um, it specifically uh, has demonic elements, as the New Testament has your children of the, your father, the devil. And so it's a history of uh, demonizing, dehumanizing of uh, communities of Jews and attributing uh, to them demonic powers, um, supernatural powers, but also accusing them of being poisoners of wells, killers of Christian children, that's the blood libel. Those are the kind of uh, historical uh, issues. The, the origins are largely to do with something that technically called, is called supersessionism, which is essentially that uh, the new Christian church, the new Israel, the new community, came to replace the old Israel, um, which was the Jews, and God withdrew his blessings and protection from the Jews, and he passed on all the good stuff to the new Christian community. And so the the Jews were associated with deicide, they were killers of God, they were in some way held to be culpable for Jesus' death. And through the New Testament, and particularly through the Church Fathers, um, many of whom are saints of the Church, um, they propounded this mythological othering, this anti-Judaism. And the spread of Christianity, of course, spread these, uh, the, this vital for Christian, this essential uh, legendary mythological uh, element. And so Jews were moved on, uh, as I said, they were marginalized, and uh, this led to Christian legends like the wandering Jew and so um, it's uh, it, its legacy is still with us things have changed of course since the the Holocaust which is intimately related to this uh, both the histories of Christian um, anti-Judaism and of political and racial and pseudo-scientific uh, anti-Semitism. Um, but the legacy is deep and part of the, the prejudicial history of the West, a history of, I don't know, crusades, exiles, expulsions, pogroms, choices of conversion or death, uh, and something which was incredibly persistent. It, it uh, persisted, the Catholic Church found its way into the Protestantism, and um, it uh, is still uh, a legacy, I mean, a legacy that needs to be revived and drawn on um, by uh, individuals and communities in the contemporary world, but one that certainly um, is still evident. Why do you think such, as you were talking about, legacies persist? Partly it's just the, the absolute domination of the Christian cultural history of the West. I mean, it, it is an integral part of our cultural legacy. So in that sense, I mean, it's built into literature, it's built into music, it's built into folk festivals, to folk tales, um, lullabies, our, our literary and cultural history, our legal history. And so it's, uh, I mean, it, it, it's just an in integral part of that history. Why it's revived 
achievement is a really interesting question. I think part of the power of that legacy is it blinds us to it. It's been normalized for, for nearly two millennia. And so in that sense, um, we, we don't notice it. It's, it's just part and parcel of our, uh, the, the tropes of our cultures. And so uh, anti-Semitism, anti-Semitic tropes and images, I mean, are built into the legacy of the West. But it does seem the, to be uh, particularly tied to times of crisis and uh, crisis of uh, economic and other crises. And so most recently, the the pandemic, for argument's sake, has seen a rise in uh, anti-Semitism associate, associating uh, Jews with vaccines and with uh, plots and conspiracies tied to the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, economic and other pressures also lead Jews to be highlighted uh, in the the kind of uh, mythological tropes of the supernatural enemy. So both on the political right and left, the extreme right and the the radical left, uh, the radical right, the radical left, we've called them that, both subscribe to greatly inflated Jewish powers, control over media, control over banking. The right think uh, Shorosh and Rothschild are behind Antifa. Uh, the left think that Jews are the exemplars of colonial white privilege. Uh, and so it's a very protean thing, um, and it, it offers uh, a very cheap and thin explanation for very complex issues. Blame the Jews. Earlier on, you talked about you know a mythical idea of, of Jews who were controlling world events. The kind of modern modern equivalent of that is what you just talked about now, how Jews are controlling banking and the media and they're using it for their own purposes type thing. That's the claim, yes. I mean, it's patently false. I mean, I mean, it's it's. Sorry, you said it as if it, was, it wasn't just a. It, it, this is held to be the case, but I mean, it clearly isn't. What we're seeing today is like a modern equivalent of what Christians believed, sort of two millennia ago. Yes, yeah, I, I, I think a bit less than two millennia ago, but yeah, over the last nearly two millennia. Yes, certainly, the Jews play this pivotal role in global history, and that they are the source of all evil. They are, you know, tied and tinged with. Uh, the, with demonic and dark forces. And so t- things associated with Jews are often kind of blown out of proportion. And so um, they, they become uh, held to be playing these uh, uh, huge and dominating roles in these large conspiracy theories. A recent example is Kanye West's very open anti-Semitic rhetoric and outbursts, but often anti-Semitism is couched in dog whistles. Like, what kind of dog whistles does one normally see? Yeah, the, the Kanye West thing is, is, is interesting only because, um, I mean, it's almost unintelligible. Uh, I don't know, going death con three or whatever he said on, on the Jewish people. Uh, he also said, I watched the video clip, um, that, that uh, he couldn't, he wasn't, he said, I'm not anti-Semitic because black people are actually Jew also. And so it was very unclear uh, what he was saying. I want to retreat from the view that, I mean, 
most of the reportage I was looking at yesterday about Kanye West in preparation for this um, was um, the I'm not a Kanye West knower of his music or a fan, so I had to look it up. But um, he, most of the comment is that he's bipolar or he's he's mad or you know he's got uh, uh, mental issues, uh, mental health issues, etc. Um, I, I I think that's kind of beside the point that this gets such coverage um, is very very significant and already there are there were posters on the 101 in Los Angeles that you know um, Kanye's right about the Jews um, that were put there by uh, some uh, far-right neo-nazi group and so um, it does have impact and so it should be taken but you asked about the the dog whistles yeah um, the, the issue about dog whistling is that I mean racism is is generally not acceptable and paradoxically it's not even acceptable in some of the in more right-wing gap and telegraph other and platforms and so there there develops a kind of code to deal with anti-semitism you never say something Jewish you just use these double bracket marks around a name uh, which indicates that someone is Jewish um, there are uh, limits to um, the the mention of Jews they, so things are signaled um, in particular contexts with words like globalists there are codes um, for uh, referring to particular Jews and Jewish practices and so um, this makes it somewhat more difficult to, um, because social media plays a, a huge role in the dissemination of these anti-Semitic tropes and anti-Semitic um, positions. They, I don't think they are that complicated but they, they often are less evident uh, and so they, they, these less uh, these uh, hidden ways of dealing with things I mean seem to fool the bots as so much of the material um, gets through the and and you do get things like in the far-right manifestos the ident identitarian manifestos that um, white European culture is being undermined and uh, the the agents there are often not mentioned um, but are Jewish merchants who are fostering non-European non-white immigration uh, in a very deliberate and evident way so yeah there is a, a clandestine uh, signaling that is going on with regards to the pittsburgh sh synagogue shooting he openly said jews are bringing in non-migrants and so then i have to go and shoot up a synagogue type thing and so it's it may have even gone past the dog whistle stage to even saying jews and so well, he didn't say specifically jews but i think he talked about an organization he um, talked about hias the hebrew immigrant aid society which is a kind of uh, ngo it's a charity for for, for jewish immigrants to the united states and other places no i mean yeah it was misguided but but i think that's the the point that it's not that things are acted on i mean dog whistles are e exactly that they're heard by those who are potentially going to be activated by this and i mean that's their danger i mean that's the image of the dog whistle i think and so but you're absolutely right and in, in that case and in the san diego shooting they're very evident cases and in the the kind of manifestos of brevik and our christchurch shooter this uh, these uh, notions of uh, of deliberately uh, undermining european and white races through migration and this being a jewish plot a conspiracy are very evident do you think West's outburst will give an excuse for 
people to say, oh, if someone so high profile like him can be anti-Semitic, is it fine for me? Certainly very high profile figures um, such as, as Yale do have exactly that impact. And as I said, there are already people putting banners on, on uh, you know, Southern California motorways. But they're, they're, yes, I mean, it kind of normalizes and mainstreams prejudice and uh, religious and racial prejudice. Um, and in that way, authorizes and legitimates it. So, yeah, no, I'm agreeing with you. That, that's a long way around to say yes. What are some of the steps that people can do to combat anti-Semitism? There is clearly an ongoing issue um, about social media platforms, and I think that's really important that there are beginning to be ways of thinking about that. Or there's pressure on companies who run the platforms to be to act more directly. But it's quite clear that when a recent study done in New Zealand that where anti-Semitism was found, I mean, it's mostly the highest two were on Facebook and and YouTube. YouTube, which are very mainstream platforms. So there's clearly much more work to be done there. Uh, a second dimension is in relation to education, um, that we need education about different forms of religious and racial prejudice and uh, how they're often, uh, they intersect with each other and they're still very evident. We also need to be very aware of the, the, as I was saying, this kind of legacy um, that's so deeply embedded um, and to not make special cases of particular groups, to not see particular communities as responsible for um, every, every negative thing that we might be facing. So I, I think education, I think uh, a degree of greater awareness of uh, social media and the impacts that it has. Um, and generally, talking about it is a really good thing. That was Victoria University of Wellington Emeritus Professor of Religious Studies Paul Morris talking about anti-Semitism. That was The Wire. Ko ira ti hotaka, katoa mō tene wiki, neti mihi ki a koto, katoa i kōrero maiki o mō tenera. That is a wrap on The Friday Wire with Jess and David. Thanks to those who spoke with us today, City Councillor Shane Henderson, Labour MP Camilla Balich, Victoria University of Wellington Emeritus Professor in Religious Studies, Paul Morris. Ni rahoki timihi kia koto i whakarongo ana. Thanks for tuning in. Ka hoki ma mato a wiki. Next up is Land of the Good Groove. You're listening to 95BFM, keep it on the bay. That was a 95BFM podcast. Support 95BFM with a B-card. Go to 95BFM.com slash sign up.